Welcome to the Anchored in Christ podcast. This is a place where we want to help young people draw closer to God and in doing so develop the confidence to take ownership of their journey, goals and purpose through biblical teachings and conversations. Our facilitator will be Ria Mudao and each episode she will be bringing you lessons on the Bible chapter by chapter from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to help you maintain or build your connection with God through His written word and to remind you of His character, His promises and your future together with Him. Thank you so much for pressing play today. Please don't forget to follow and share as this will help us grow our audience. Now let us begin. Uh, scary to me. Um, I think I, I shared this with, with Sanele as well, that if I had a choice, this is one of the books which I would have wanted us to do last because you are so right. Most of us don't read the book of Leviticus, um, but let's go back to, to biblical literature. When we started, and I think it's one of the first sessions that we had of Bible study, we talked about the different types, that types of books, because a Bible is a library of 66 books. And the reason why most of us struggle to read the Bible is we read it as one book. And when you read the book of Exodus, it's a bibliography and it's drama. If in today's language, I'd say it's drama, it's fun. And when you get to the book of Leviticus, it's like reading a telephone directory because it's very straightforward. Do not do this, do not do that. It, it is so right and wrong, law kind of book. And you cannot read, read it like you're reading a a bibliography. So I think one thing that we need to note right from the beginning is every time you start a new book, understand what it means, because we have seven types of literature. We have, we have a biography, uh, which is, you know, stories, dramas. You have an epistle. Epistles is like prescriptions, uh, where Paul's books, Paul's letters are, are epistles. You have lamentations, which obviously it's the book of lamentations and the book of Habakkuk, where a prophet is, starts by, you know, complaining, saying, God, God, why do you do this? And over time, they change. You have prophecy. Obviously, revelation comes to your mind, you know, in, in other sections of the book. Actually, when you read the book of, of Leviticus, you have, we have revelation. We have, sorry, prophecy in, in Leviticus 26, where God then talks about the future of if you do not do this, this is what is going to happen to you. We have wisdom books. When you talk about wisdom books, you're talking about your, you know, your, your proverbs. You know, it's, it's wisdom book. You read it and, and you, get, you get wisdom out of it. And you have legal code and covenant treaty. And that is where Leviticus falls in. That is where it is the law. That is where, you know, you pick up the constitution and try and read it. You don't expect... Uh, that it's going to be fun because it's just going to tell you what to do and what not to do. And that is where Leviticus falls in. It is part of the legal code and the covenant treaty of God. And it only has one chapter, which is chapter 26, which falls under, under prophecy. So when you read the book of Leviticus, um, I always say, don't read it to find reasons. The one thing, the one thing that Christians struggle with when it comes to the book of Leviticus is that God does not give the reasons why we must do these things. And our mind automatically, when you're told, do this, you ask why. And, and most people have tried to find answers of 
why? Why are we not allowed to do this? Why can I not eat this? Why can I not do that? But God did not give us reasons for his rules. He did not tell us why we we should not do certain things. There's certain laws that's clear, you know, especially because when they were fulfilled in the New Testament, it became quite clear. And, and when we talk about laws around sacrifices and the killing of the animals, we get to understand that, you know, the, the cleansing and the sacrificing was fulfilled by Christ, but in God's economy, it had to be done that way. But not everything is, is still clear as, as it is. And I always say when people say, but I don't know why. I say, just treat it like those things that you were told, you know, when you were young, our parents would tell us, you need to do this. And when you say why, they say, I know better. And, and the honest fact is the things that we've, we've walked away from as an economy. I was actually laughing the other day when I was reading through the book of Leviticus. And I found that there's a law where God said, you cannot base your economy on interest. And I was looking at how the world and the economy is, you know, you can easily crumble because everything is built on interest. And I thought, how, how amazing that God knew way before that this is the reason why I'm saying this. It does not become a stable economy. So those are, are some of the things that we struggle with as Christians. We don't have reasons why we need to do it. The lawgiver, which is the creator, he, he sort of uses them to say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you believe that I tell you to do something? It's good for you. And, and he leaves it there. You do it or you don't. It's up to you. But we don't have reasons behind most of them. But, you know, with, with the New Testament, you, you will see as we go into the book of Leviticus that some of the things become quite clear. So as I was going through the book of Leviticus, I, I thought I will not go through today. I will not go through chapter one to chapter seven because I don't think I will be doing justice. As you said, the book of Leviticus is, is laws. And it, it is it's not like, you know, you can just go explaining stories, what happened. So I thought I'm going to use today's session to break down the book of Leviticus so that we understand what, is, what it's about. And so that we can link it to all those things um, uh, that we see, you know, it can be the laws, the rules and all those things. And if you can go to the next slide, Spiro, I just listed a number of things that we're going to look at, the themes in the book, What are because it is themed as long as it is, as much as it looks like it's just laws, there's a lot of themes in the book um, of Exodus. And how does it fit, you know, into the whole uh, Torah or the Bible or the, the, the books of, of Moses, the five books of Moses? What, what, what does it mean, these rules and regulations? The holiness of God. And I would say the one thing that you, you must walk away knowing today is the book of, of Leviticus is about the holiness of God. 152 times that word appears. It is about a holy God that we serve and how he wants us to be holy. And the last thing that I noted is what does it mean for us as Christians? Because as Christians, um, we ask ourselves, is it applicable to us? You know, is, is this, has this not been um, fulfilled? And if you go on to the next uh, slide, I think I already talked about this, the seven, literate, the seven um, biblical literatures that we find uh, and Leviticus falls under the legal treaty and don't read it like you're reading a story theme it when you read it when you read sacrifices stick to sacrifices chapter one to seven it's just the offerings that god is asking for and funny thing is when you read 
you will pick up some of the things that actually I've seen this somewhere in the New Testament because it links so much. And, and most of the disciples of Christ talk about it because they were Jews. So they, they used to do these things, you know, as, as part of who they were, but they break it down in, in, in the language that makes sense to us as Christian. So you need to also understand um, the people at this time. This were people that were coming from Egypt. For 400 years, all they knew was slavery. For 400 years, all they did was build gods for Egyptians. And God was saying to them, he, he wanted to reveal who he was. He wanted to remove this whole thing that they had about these gods of Egypt. And he wanted to show them who he was. And he was saying to them, you, you cannot, you cannot see all this gods. I'm, I'm not that God and this is who I am. And God keeps on saying it, one God, one God, one God, because they were building gods. They were busy molding gods for the Egyptians. And God sort of wanted to take them out of that thinking and, and saying there is one God. And, and you need to understand that the type of people that Moses was dealing with here, slavery, um, they didn't know worship. They didn't know worship at all. And as much as they knew about Abraham and the, and, and the promise that was given to their father or grandfather, they did not know anything about worship. And it has a relation to the book of Exodus. Um, when we finished the book of Exodus, and I know that we only went until um, we didn't do the second part of the book, which I call the second part, but we did it because the second part of the book was just Moses repeating what God said to him on Mount Sinai. And when we get to chapter, the last chapter of the book of Exodus, then um, God, Moses says to God, I'm done with the tabernacle. And then the cloud comes and it sits on the tabernacle. And then Moses was sitting there. Um, and then God said to him, the book of, of, of Leviticus opens with God saying, come in because I want to give you the rules. So it's having looked at, at the book of Levitic, the book of Exodus, it flows. It makes it easy for you to understand the next book of the Bible when you understand what the previous one was about, especially the books of Moses. We will find a different flavor when we start working with books like your Amos and the other prophets because they are not in order. But the books of Moses are in order. Those people are, are still at Mount Sinai. The book of Leviticus happens at Mount Sinai. They are still there. Moses has, he went up, he came back with the laws, he broke the laws, he went back up, he came back with the laws and how to build the tabernacle. They built the tabernacle. He said, God, I am done. God came and covered the tabernacle. And then the next thing that happens is God saying, after he had covered the tabernacle with the cloud, God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, come in. And he starts giving him the sacrifices of what needs to happen between me and you for this relationship to work. So it's important <laughs> to recognize how each book links to the new one because you, you then, you know, gel with it so well. So this actually, the book, the entire book of Leviticus, actually, it happens in a month's time um, because it happens for a month. God was dealing with Israel and the Levites on what they need to do as priests to take care of the tabernacle, what they need to do as priests to clean the people, to cleanse the people when they have sinned, what they need to do 
as the whole of Israel to worship God and to get to a point where they, they worship God and they are happy with God. So it is, it is that point. It is just a month. It's at Mount Sinai. They're at the bottom of the mountain. And it's a month of just them um, dealing with God. And I see you've gone to the next slide, Spiwo. So I'm just going to talk through the slide as well. So as you can see, I struggle with that work word, the Pentateuch, or the five books of Moses, the Torah, it's five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Genesis talks about the entire universe because it talks about the creation of the whole world, the stars, the moon, and everything that happens there. Um, and it, it, it happens in, in Canaan because it's, it's Abraham in Canaan, and it talks about centuries. It's not about a month or a, it talks about centuries and centuries, and it passes like 400 year gaps and all that. And that is Genesis done. Exodus talks about a nation. It's a nation of Israel that God chooses and says, this is a nation that I'm going to work with. It happens in Egypt because for 400 years, they're yeah, in Egypt and I know they wrote 300 years on there, um, which I tried to correct but I struggled. But yes, for 400 years, they were in Egypt. Leviticus is a tribe. It even gets narrower in the book of Leviticus. Because Leviticus deals with priests and Levites, and, and they are the ones that were responsible for, for, the, tab for the tabernacle, for, they were responsible for the works that happened in the temple and everything. It happens in Mount Sinai. All they do is sit at Mount Sinai and they deal with the temple, and it only for, for one month. Numbers is going to open up again. When we get to the book of Numbers, we're going to be dealing with the nation now because the tribe is going to start applying all those things to the nation of Israel. And now that it's everything will start working. You will see the nation coming together. You'll see the nation going to war. You'll see the nation going to, into the promised land. And then when we get to the book of Deuteronomy, which they call it the second law, is actually um, a book that talks, it's, I call it the constitution. Because Deuteronomy, what Deuteronomy does, it takes all the laws that happened from the book of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, and it places it in, in one book, and it's divided into, you know, the different sections, but it, it is the law. It's called the second law, because that is the law that they, they hang on to even today. So that is how the, you know, the five books look, and today we are looking or let me say now we are going to be focusing on that narrow part, which looks at the tribe, which looks at the Levites, which happens in Mount Sinai and which only happens for a month. So every time you read, remember that most of the things is about, you know, priests, 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 but it, it's actually explaining to them how they need to do the work of God, what they need to do. So um, if you go to the next slide, Spiro, um, I think I just noted there a few verses that explain what happened and where were they when this was happening, um, because they were in Mount Sinai for the entire month. That's where they were. And you, when you go to the next slide, um, you will find the division, how the book itself is structured. As I said, this is a very legal book. And... The first part of the book, you're going to find offerings and sacrifices. And if you want to read it and understand it well, read it in themes, read it in themes, and then it will make sense. So you will find offerings and sacrifices. You will find the priesthood. I talked about the priesthood, 
who are the priests because they are role players in the book of, of Leviticus. Uh, it's, it's very, it, it draws so much attention into this one family of the Levites. And you will find unclean and clean. And that is where, you know, people start challenging. This animal is unclean, you know, this type of fish and whatnot. And God's, God draws a distinction of what is clean and what is unclean. And then you find the day of, of atonement. And this is one of the very interesting chapters um, in the book of, of Leviticus, because it actually speaks about Christ. When you read its prophecy, uh, it's not a prophecy, but when you read it, you will see that it's actually relating um, to Christ and, and how you know everyone will be cleansed. So what happened was, from the beginning, the priest had to do this thing, and you will see had to, they were cleansed. Moses ordained them and everything, they were cleansed, and they were told, you can go and start doing the work. And when we get to chapter 10, the priests do something wrong. They take the wrong fire. You know, there were a lot of rules. They used the wrong fire to start um, in the brazen altar, the fire in the brazen altar, and God kills them. And he said, you did not do what I told you to do. And those were two sons of Aaron. And after they had done that, there was a lot of cleansing that had to be done. And God said to Moses, because they are people and they will make an, a mistake, I'm going to have a day of atonement. And that day of atonement is where everyone gets cleansed, whether they are priests or whatnot, because they are bound to make mistakes, uh, even though they are priests. And that is where the day of atonement, there was a lamp. There was a lamp that would be taken and that lamp would, they would say, this lamp is carrying all our sins and it would be chased off to go away and it was, it would go away forever. So it's, it's sort of, you know, that's why I'm saying it links to Christ, like this lamb used to go and it would just go wonder, you know, and, and that's where the day of atonement comes in. And then you find common and holy where God separates, this is holy, this is unholy. And then first, first, chapters 23 to 25, you find worship where God tells them this is how we have to worship. And there's rules on what is worship to God? What am I supposed to do? I always say um, these chapters, I call them the, the, the Friday checklist. Um, for those that go to church on, on, on Sunday, they can call it the Saturday checklist because it sort of tells you how you need to prepare yourself before you go before, before you, you go to church or to worship God. And I call it the checklist because it, it's very clear on what you need to do and how you need to pre prepare yourself. In chapter 26 and 27, he then talks about, um, you know, the sanctions, the punishments, what will happen. And that, that's where we find um, prophecy as well. Um, and if you go on to the next slide, you will find the role players of the book. These are the people that you will see their names coming up a lot. And this way, the Levites. So Moses obviously, and Aaron, his brother, who was the high priest, Abihu, Eliezer, and Itamar, this were his three sons. They were priests. So not every Levite was a priest. Not every Levite was the priest. Only the sons of Aaron were, were priests in the house of God. It belonged to the tribe of Levi. We did the, uh, Jacob and his sons and Levi was the third son. He was a brother to Simeon. They were like twins. They were not really twins, but they had the same traits. He had anger issues and whatnot. We studied that when we did the book of Genesis. So this is Levi and his son. And when you read the book of Genesis, which we did, he was the father of Geshom, Kohath, and Merari. Um, Kohath, uh, son, Amram, and Aaron, Miriam, 
and Moses then come from that come from that family. Um, you could you couldn't be a priest unless you had Levi, you were a Levite. You you couldn't. That was a requirement. So every priest was a Levite, but not every Levite was a priest. Only the sons of Aaron. The rest of the men in the tribe were assigned, like everyone else was assigned to serve as assistants to the priests. And that's how it was done. And when David comes, you will see when it moves, when David comes, he will then uh, divide the Levite into 24 courses. He will say, I am dividing you. And they will each be um, responsible for the work of God. But he will, you will see when we study the books of David, he will start dividing them, dividing them. So the name Levite, I, Levi, I did the book of Le, the name Levites, uh, Leviticus comes from that name, Levi, because it speaks to what they come, to what they are supposed to do as priests. Um, so the requirements of a priest, you will see when we study chapter 21 and 22, they had to come from the tribe of Levite. They had to be free of any physical defects. They, they could not marry any woman that God did not approve. So there were rules around how God must approve the woman that they marry. They were subject to many special laws, you know, how they bath, how they do all those things, but it was all, you know, we study all these rules to try and understand how God wants to be distinct, how he does not want to be, how he does not want to conform to the standards and how he wanted to show them that he is a holy God. They were in charge of the sanctuary. When you read the book of Numbers 1, verse 47 to 54, they were in charge of the, of the sanctuary. And during the wilderness wanderings, they were responsible for carrying the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. Not anyone. You could not. You could not touch the Ark of the Covenant if you were not from the priest's priesthood or if you were not a part of that family. So there's quite a lot of rules that we are going to get into when we study uh, the priesthood and the Levites. And I think I, before we go to the holiness of God, I'll just mention that the author obviously of the book is, is Moses, um, you know, and it's the key statement in the whole of Leviticus is that be holy for I am holy. Be holy for I am holy. Be distinct for I am distinct. God expects the people he liberates to be like him and not to be like the people around them. Many things in the book of Leviticus seem puzzling and you're trying to understand what does it really mean, but it all boils down to be holy for I'm holy. God is responsible for this pattern. He gives it and he says, this is how I want everything to go. And he leaves it that way. You know, and as much as God does not give us reasons <laughs> for these laws, the sad thing is he does give us punishment. He tells us, if you do not do this, this is what will happen. If you do not do this, this is what will happen. One thing which the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish nation experienced this. So they, they understand because God had said to them, if you do not hold on to my laws, you are going to be expelled out of this um, promised land. And even today, we know what is happening. He said, if you do not hold on to my laws, this is going to be the punishment. And that is what they went through. And I know that I, I probably did not note it on the slides. Um, All right, yes, can you please go to the next slide? Yes, so 
it is clear throughout the book of Leviticus, what you're going to find is God asking for holiness. Is God asking for us to be distinct from everyone else? And by the way, the book of First Peter, the book of First Peter does say that you have been made priest. The high priest was Aaron and Christ came and he became the high priest. And he says, you will be priests and you will have to preach my word. So the, the distinctiveness that, was, that God wanted from the tribe of the Levites, it's, it's what he expects from us. Leviticus tells us to be holy in every part of our lives. Some, some chapters will make you cringe, you know, uh, when, when, you know, the Bible tells you of toilet arrangements, what you need to do. But I think the theme there is it's, it's, it's wholeness. Everything about you must be clean. It, it gets into every little thing about us that we think, all right, but you know, but it, it will tell you that you need to be clean in everything that, they, that you do. So without spiritualizing the book in any way, um, if I were to give a message and not spiritualize the book of Leviticus, I will say holiness is distinctiveness from the world pattern based on biblical, on the biblical world's view. Holiness is being distinct from the pattern of the world, but purely based on the biblical view and purely based on how God sees things. It's, it's looking at something and say, this makes sense, but you say, I will not do it. I don't know why, but because God said so. I will not do it. I don't know why, but because God expects me to do it this way. It doesn't have to be mean, but it's about you making a decision and following that pattern in your life that this is how I am going to live my life. You know, it's, there are two things that are competing in this generation. And you need to be conscious of that. Um, both youth and, and, and parents. The first generation, we are actually the first generation that is not being raised by parents, but being raised by crowd speak. There's a lot of noise and, and crowd speak means everything. Yesterday at the conference, you know, they talked about social media and everything. Crowd speak is everything. There are so many sources that pour into our lives. The older people will tell you that they only had four channels. I mean, in my life as well, I remember we only had four channels to watch and that's where you get, you got all the news and everything that you wanted to know about life. But now there are so many sources, you know, there's blogs, there's, the social media itself, you know, Netflixes and everything, the choice is galore, but the risk is high. So everyone has, has lots to say. And it's, very, it's a danger for a young person that does not really understand or that, that's expecting that to actually guide their lives. You could go out and, you, you know, try this. There are people that have tried this. You could go out right now and write a fake article about something that has happened and see how many people will believe that story without even validating whether it's true or not. So it, it is a sad thing that we are growing up in a position where parents have been made weak. Parents have been made weak, which is in contradiction with what the Bible says, because the Bible says your parents are... Uh, you know, your God, those, those are the people that you look up to. And God mentions it so many times. In the Ten Commandments, it says, obey your father and mother. And in the New Testament, even Christ mentions it so many times. But the law and, and everything around the world has, has weakened parents. And it has given, um, you know, the legislators 
and the educator so many so much power over the children or the or, or the kids Uh, am I still audible? I got disconnected for a while there. I'm sorry. No problem. When you audible now, we lost you there for just a second. All right. I'm so sorry. I got disconnected. So it's it's parents, and I hope I, I you got that part because I was just closing off that part that they have been made weak by by the legislators and the and the educators and everything around them is just you know they, they listen and it's funny how now the rules are even changing children even have power over the educator so you can see that something is not balanced there somehow but that's how it is but you know i i always say with everything that is out there today it's very difficult to tell what is holy and what is not but the best way to understand how God thinks is to come back to the book of Leviticus. God does not change. You hear a lot of people, and now I'm also going to move to the question on, is it applicable to us? God does not change. Yes, and, and Christ, yes, Christ did say that. Um, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. But... There are certain laws, and you will see when we go into the book, there are certain laws that have definitely been fulfilled. But my question, every time someone says, do I have to do this? I, I, give, I question them back. I say, what law? How did Christ fulfill this law? How did Christ fulfill this law? Because there are specific laws that he fulfilled. There are specific laws. There are specific things that were laws, were approved by the time of of. Moses and when Christ came he said that's not how it should be and divorce is one of them because they said to him they challenged Christ and they said but how do you say divorce is wrong because Moses allowed us to and he said yes Moses allowed you to because he saw your heart but that was not God's intention so you see how Moses and Christ sort of work together to balance the law so the question for me when a Christian says is this still applicable to me then my question to them is which law has fulfilled it because it did not destroy the entire thing. Otherwise, there are so many things that we would have said it's no longer applicable. I know we don't see the Sabbath as the law, but I, I always pose this question to people as well that say the law has been destroyed. I say, but what about the Sabbath? Because we see it on the Ten Commandments. So it's picking and choosing. It's picking and choosing, but it all comes down <laughs> Uh, to, to one thing. We, as human beings, rules, rules are not easy to follow. Rules are not easy to follow, but we, we, we worship a God of rules. We worship a God of rules. And as much as there's so much that when we get into the chapters, I, we're going to start with the chapters next week, you'll start seeing that, you know, there, there's so many things that you can learn as principles because God has not changed and it will help you. The book of, of Leviticus will help you understand how God thinks, how God looks at things, how God expects us to be distinct, how God wants us not to conform to the standards of this world, which Paul explains 
very well in the book of Hebrews. He explains very well in the book of, in the book of, of Romans as well. And I think the, the book that the Archbishop read yesterday, there's a, there's a section that talked about the fulfillment of the law because it's, it, it was not all discarded. Christ says, I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. And there are certain things that were fulfilled, but there are certain things that we still need to do. And as you go on to the next slide, I'm gonna wrap this up uh, to you all. Um, I think I've said this part that the, the theme, the theme of this book is be holy, be holy because I'm holy. And as you go on to the next slide with the holiness of God, I did say if there's one thing that you need to walk away with, if someone says, what is the book of Exodus about? Sorry, of Leviticus about it's, it's holiness. It's holiness. God just wants us to be holy and to be distinct. And, and it's, I like how he links when, when you start reading on what we need to do and what we need not to do. I like how the Bible keeps on talking about we will be more happier if we are holy. And it's, it's when we look at it in our lives, it's, it does not look that way because where, where God says, don't do this we actually feel sad and you're like, no, you know, I'm not happier because I'm not doing that. But it's as if God is, what God is trying to say is through this combination of rewards and punishments that that is the only way that will make you happy. He, he puts it together somehow and he keeps on saying, um, you know, there's happiness where there's holiness and there's wholeness. You know, he, he puts that as, as one thing. And when you go into the next slide, um, you will see, I, I just noted there that holiness is not a luxury. Um, it is not a luxury. Uh, God does not see it as a luxury. And when you read, you will see that it's, it's, it's a necessity. You know, he is holy and he made things. He put things in place in order for us to be able to get closer to him somehow. But he, he remains a holy God. And um, it, it's not limited to just the Jewish and the ancient Israelites. And you will see, you will see there are certain things that's very clear that uh, it had to do with. And I, I said the context is very key. These are people that were sitting you know, at the bottom of Mount Sinai. And there was, there was a lot of things that you see. They were living in tents. The tabernacle was just in the tent that was in the middle, but they were all over, you know, in these tents around the tabernacle. But there was a lot of, of laws that had to do with their health issues. And it makes sense. I mean, those people are, I don't know, those that count say that they are about 2 million because when they left, it was 400,000, but it was just men that were counted, but they have wives and children. So this is 2 million people living in camps. And you can just imagine how many health issues and you find, you know, such rules popping up of how to live with your neighbor, you know, how to take care of your toilet, how to do that. But you, you find if, if you look at the principle, if you look at the principle, it's more of, you know, cleanliness, holiness, distinctiveness, not conforming to the world, removing the, these thoughts or these gods that they had in their mind, the gods of Egypt, and knowing that he is one God. The punishments were quite harsh. And I think it's clear that God was saying to them, you, know, you, you need to change your in, the way you see the whole entire thing. And as you go on to the next slide, I think I've talked about has the entire law been fulfilled? Um, because most of us say it's no longer relevant. But if it has not been fulfilled and Christ did not destroy it, then 
there is no reason to say it is no longer applicable. And as you go on to the next slide, I just posted a few things. There's a, there is a book, and I actually forgot the name, um, which talks about the relevance of Leviticus for a, for a Christian today. And it's very interesting. So I took off um, a few little things that, that he mentioned, you know, about how the book of, of Leviticus is still relevant for a Christian today because it, God does not change. And as much as, you know, there is grace, he still expects, he is still a holy God and he still ex expects us to, to live according to the standards um, of, of what he wants from Christians and not just conform to the standards of this world. So I think I'll end there, Sanele. So I, I really did not want to go into sacrifices because the, the first seven chapters, we're going to be doing the offerings and, what, and how it links to the New Testament. And it's, I wanted us to get the context of what is this book about? Where does it come from? What are we going to be studying? What type of literature is it? So that when you go and study chapter one to seven, you understand what it's about and you, you have a little bit of context and, and we will then get into the detail of the chapter from next week. Thanks, Anneli. Thank you so much, Cesaria, um, for just giving us background on Leviticus and the different, I'm gonna call them subtopics of it. Um, I think had we all known that holiness is what it was telling us, we would have tackled it a lot sooner because it's just so hard um, to tackle it. And I think we all just get a little scared when we think about Leviticus. Please stay tuned and keep an eye out for the Anchored in Christ um, posters and notices that we're going to send out soon because we might be starting something that's going to be really, really interesting and having more discussions around Leviticus. And I really hope that you've all managed to learn something today something that will help you in your journey with God. And I hope that today's session really planted a seed. And from me and from the Anchored in Christ team, I'd like to say thank you so much for joining us. And I'm gonna hand over back to Uspiwo to close for us. Thank you.